Welcome to Indie Depth, the show where we go in-depth with independent filmmakers. I'm your host, Andrew Froning, and today on our show, we have producer, actor, Michael R. Ballington. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Michael is a producer and actor from New Jersey, and um, he's actually helped me, um, as well as other filmmakers in the area, produce some some good stuff um our award-winning award-winning stuff award-winning stuff yeah our um series web series the connection which you can find on youtube on the fro video page um won multiple awards and a lot of that's not possible without michael because he found us locations he found us people he found us props um he found us connections relationships that you you really just can't make a film without relationships, right? That I think it's one of the most relationships, communications, and that whole networking philosophy that you can't get anything done without that in anything. But it, it's definitely paramount in, in filmmaking. <clears throat> definitely, and I know when I met you, um, we have kids the same age. Uh, they went to the same martial arts school, and we just started talking about Batman Beyond. <laughs> Great show. Awesomeness of Batman Beyond. Waiting for the movie. Endlessly. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, we instantly hit it off. Um, you know, we... I, I probably had been in a lapse of filmmaking at that part. So, you know, we didn't... We didn't immediately start to talk about filmmaking. But, um, you know, not even knowing who a person is or what they're capable of. Um, you know, we started chatting. We just... We had a good time, and then eventually it came to, oh, well, we both like filmmaking. Common threads. Right, right. So how do you, for some of those people who are not as good as at, <clears throat> not as good at building those relationships to start, what's 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 a tip? What's a good starting place? Being genuine. Um, you know, especially when it comes to entertainment and filmmaking, everybody's got an angle to try to pitch. Very few people are, are genuine. Mm -hmm. And if you come off forcing it too much, it's going to be seen right through and it's going to be dismissed. So anytime I approach anybody for anything, it's, it's, I come from a genuine spot. Um, I don't try to force anything. If it's not there, if the door's not open, I'm not going to try and kick it open. It's really just talking to people on a common sense level and from a, try and find that, that common place like we found with Batman Beyond and, and some of the other things that we shared that uh, common topics and interests on, and then it, you can let it organically grow from there. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> don't go in expecting. Just just meet Never somebody. Never anything except for you know the unexpected. You know, death and taxes. The Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good tip. That's that's a very good tip because I feel like, especially when I was just starting out making film like oh this guy who maybe i saw he's got a lot of friends on facebook and he makes films like oh i gotta talk to him and impress him you know you feel like you have to impress somebody it's a lot I of times that go with the goal of trying to impress anybody no no we're all people you know exactly but yeah i think the, the big thing is, is um in my experience of dealing with some of the people and, and some of the relatively larger names that i've interacted with nine times out of ten, if not even more than that, 
when they're approached by somebody, they're tr they know that there's an angle that that person's going to be trying to kick. So with that in the back of my head, when I approach them, you know, I'll, I'll try and start the conversation completely benign. And if the door happens open for the conversation that I'm hoping to happen opens, then I'll go for it. If it doesn't, I'll keep with the mundane conversation and, and keep it personable and, and hope that if it, I have the, uh, the opportunity to speak to this person again, that they'll see that I'm coming from a little more of a genuine place. Um, and I'm not trying to beg them for something. I'm not trying to get something in their ear or in their hands. And they might be a little more receptive in the future to either have a conversation with me again or, or listen to that pitch that I might have in the back of my head. Right. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the idea of matching energies. Yeah. So a lot of times you know, people just want to relax. Yeah. You got to so, find, find that common passion because yeah. then you can get those real good in-depth conversations like, like that we've had. Like this one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you, you, when you talk to somebody, throwing out keywords, you can feel where that person is where they are in time and space and where their head is. And from there you can figure out, do I go for the pitch or do I still try and develop this a little more before I go for the pitch? Okay. <clears throat> now you said keywords. Elaborate. Uh, key as in lock and key or key as an energy key, whatever way you want to work it. Um, I don't think I have a specific list of keywords. Just had, like I said, it's got to be organic. It's just a matter of having a conversation, just a human to human interaction with somebody. And from there, you'll feel where they are and you'll kind of find the right words if they're there to be found. Okay, and sure. If, and if you're struggling to find those things, you're struggling to find those links, you're forcing it. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that's just my, my personal take on that. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I know for, you know, let's just talk about the connection. Um, I needed a restaurant, right? And I was like, Mike, you got to find a restaurant. And you're like, well, there's a lot of restaurants around here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you, you locked into one pretty quick. And, I mean, it, it was the perfect spot. You know, it wasn't like you just asked the first person you saw. Um, you actually like listened to, um, you know, my pitch for what I was looking for and you found a good spot. Like how many, how many places did you go to or how did you decide that this was the right one before you presented the option? Honestly, I only went to one place, oh, Okay, but that was developed, <laughs> but let me, let me preface that. That was developed after talking to you and understanding what you wanted to see. You wanted something that was, that had motion in the background, but wasn't overtly busy so it's sure. not like it was on a major highway it was enough passing traffic to keep things going in the background i also thought it gave a, the location gave phenomenal natural light which made it easier for us as a production team to, to light the area definitely um it also worked out that I, I i felt i had a good chance of securing that location but again that all the genesis of that was talking to you to figure out what you wanted and, and what you were looking for in that particular scene and what that setting should have been like. And I'm imagining your first conversation with the restaurant owner um, wasn't 
I want to shoot here, right? <laughs> how did how did that conversation build? Um, I happen <laughs> I happen to know this person for a long time. This okay, is the person that owns the property, um, and I kind of did just say, "Hey, I'm working on a production. We're looking to see if we can get a restaurant scene taken care of. Any way I can use your place on an off hour time." He's like, "Well, talk to the, the chef. He's the one that pretty much runs it. I have no problem with it." You can work well with him. It's good to go. I went and I introduced myself to the chef. Told him, you know, the owner told me to talk to him about it. And he was, I mean, as you know from our time there, he was phenomenal. He was very great. helpful. You know, we didn't really interfere with the business too much. They were able to still have normal patrons and stuff come in, which I think having that ability to help us out and still have, you know, his normal business not be too affected. I think that made it such a, a, a perfect place, a perfect time for it. Sure, because we picked an off hour. Um, we we picked a time of day. Was it a Sunday? I think it was a Saturday. Like we got there later Saturday morning, and we were out there by I think like five. Right. We really went there for the whole day. Right. I guess we talked to them, and they were slow during the lunch run. They had a couple people, um, yeah. but we kind of picked a corner. We set yeah. ourselves aside from everything, so we really respected what they were doing. You know, we bought food for everybody. Well, that was, and, and it was that. It was a mutual thing. It wasn't like, hey, we're just going to come here and, and take over. We weren't, I don't think, I don't feel we were invasive. Um, you know, we tried to help him out. He said he needed something. We jumped on it. He was very willing to work with us, too. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, it again, it's, it's that relationship of give and take and not, them giving us an inch and us taking a mile, it was, you know, it was fair give and take. And I think that's that's a crucial component to the relationship. And Michael, you got started as a background actor you know, up in New yeah. York City. I remember this is probably how our whole conversation on filmmaking began because I was starting to revisit an older project that I wanted to finish. Cotton Gear, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was like 10 years. I had shot stuff right after college and then an actor moved, um, family, you know, issues and, you know, life happens after college, yep. but a lot of people don't come back to it. Um, I really wanted to finish that more for the actors and for myself. Cause I felt like I had, I had promised something and I wanted right. to deliver on that. Um, but anyway, I'm talking about you. <laughs> so, so you got started as a background actor in New York. How did, um, that come about? Um, one of the guys I was working with um, just happened to, hey, what are you doing Thursday? Nothing. Well, go to this website, sign up. It's free. You can get on on sets and, and do some background work. And I was like, really? That, it's, that, that's it? Yes, go do it. So I think I signed up on a Sunday night. And by Tuesday that week, I was on my first set. Wow. Which was the following. So Okay. The Kevin Bacon thing. He yeah. was on set. Um, he's a very short man. Um, but that was kind of my, my foray into it. And that was seven years or so ago now. Hmm. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be on a number of productions. I was, uh, I've been on Law and Order SVU a number of times. Um, very happy as a, as a fanboy of Marvel comics. I was on Jessica Jones. Yes. Um, I was in Daredevil. I saw you. Uh, but understanding my role as a background actor, I'm not the focus. I go to my set, I do what I'm told, I mark, hit the marks that I'm told them to do. Um, I don't. I know that I'm not supposed to be 
seen. It's more like seen, not heard. Um, there's a lot of people who do background work who are, you know, as we spoke about before with Bruce, and that they, they try and force it. They, they try and make jokes. They try and force things that just aren't there. Um, and it disrupts the productions. So I know that my role is to go there, smile, look what the way I'm told to look, do what I'm told to do, and that's it. If anything else comes out of that, if I happen to get it, you know, more than two seconds of screen time, great. Um, but it's it's kind of comical the the broad spectrum of people that did actually do background acting. Hmm. I've taken it and I observe more on the behind the camera stuff because I like to produce. I I, I want to do more producing, um, so I I like to observe everything. And with my former career, that's kind of requirement of observing people so <clears throat> but yeah that that's kind of my genesis into this whole foray that now we've jumped into for a few projects sure and um i had a co-worker who had signed up to be a background actor in something and i, th I think when i just kind of like asked out there hey you know would anyone like to be a background actor or buy everybody dinner um he was like oh i did that once i had to drip drink the same glass of water for nine hours <laughs> I don't think I've had that bad of experience. Um, <laughs> although, like I said, it, it depends on what you go in for and sure. what you're expecting on it. You know, um, I, I've had people who were background actors in the union complain over the flavored Doritos they were offered. Um, Missing you the get point, some really, really, really petty things. Yeah. Um, people they expect to be treated like the million dollar stars, which just, that's not the case. That's not your role. That's not what you were hired for. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting. For sure. Um, and I know we've talked on this show a lot about how being on set is special. It's a special time. So mm -hmm. don't ruin it, right? Like, enjoy it's, it's what you do. It's not so much ruining it for you, but you can ruin it for a lot of other people. Mm. Because how you interact, and, and like I said, again, jumping back to the previous conversation, um, I had a conversation on set with a pretty well-known actor. Uh, it's been around for many years. He was in Mighty Ducks. Um, and it was just a conversation that I organically asked him as he was passing me if he still played hockey. He kind of stopped in his tracks and kind of looked at me with a little grin. And he was like, yeah, I actually do. We just talked about hockey. Nice. I had no, I had no pitch. I had no, uh, you know, I wasn't completely starstruck. It was just, he's a human who plays hockey. I love hockey. Why don't I talk to him about it? We had a good conversation for like 15, 20 minutes. And then, you know, we had to go back to work. But, you know, that's, that's what I was talking about earlier about organic and, and just kind of feeling where things go. Um, I also didn't happen to have a plan. I wasn't trying to truly pitch him anything either. So it worked out that I was more genuine with the conversation as well. Mm -hmm. um, but you have people that um, there are some of the bigger name actors. And I've actually had one real bad experience with somebody. Um, we were on set, broke from the scene, going back to our respective areas, and they were just laser focused where they were going. Had I not sidestepped even the few inches that I did, we would have collided. Of course, being on set, being in the background, it would have been my fault that I walked into the main person. Um, but you, you definitely feel it's, there's a, a weird energy 
and you have to have that synergy to have good scenes. Mm. I think that's something you you know as a director and and me as a producer, you're looking for that chemistry. You think they were a, maybe a method actor? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So I you know I didn't take offense. So I don't take offense right. from the way I, I get treated by people. They don't know me. I don't know them, and it's, it's just my own personal philosophy. I, I, I'm a very easygoing, relaxed kind of person. So you are. Yep. <laughs> So, um, let's talk a little more about being a background actor. And, um, I know if I'm on set, you know, sometimes I'll show up to a friend set. I'll just chat with a few people. I'm clearly not the focus, right? Right. But I'm able to be there and I can have conversations with everybody pretty much. Like I can walk around, chat with you, and then you know when they when they say you know rolling or set up, you know it stops. But there's plenty of time in the meantime to make new contacts. Right. Yeah. The networking happens in between shots. You know, um, especially going from one camera angle to another. There there is a lot of downtime, and you know, for anybody who is interested in being a background actor, um, if you can get in and get into the union like I was able to, I was very fortunate with the background that I have and in law enforcement and EMS, I was able to get my waivers. I got into the union pretty, pretty fast, actually. Um, you have to understand that, as we said, you're not the focus. You're there strictly as a body. Um, there is an awful lot. There's some times where I was, I was on set for 15 hours, almost 16 hours, which would have been great if I was there for over 16 hours pay-wise, but I didn't even get on set. Stayed up in, in holding, never got on set. Hmm. Um, there's times where you're told to go somewhere, you got to go, you get there, oh, no, we're going here, oh, no, we're going here. So you have to be, you, you can't be so rigid in what your expectations are because it's not your project. So if there's any advice I give to anybody who wants to go into background acting, it's don't go in with any expectations. Don't go in trying to sell anybody anything. And just, yes, there are no sir people. That's that's the best thing. Because the showrunners, the people that are the, the PAs, the PAs have the worst time out of anybody, and the worst job out of anybody on set. Um, they're woefully overstressed and probably woefully underpaid for what they do. But at least working as close to New York as I do, um, and as often as I was for a while, you meet some of the PAs. They know you. They know your ability. You, you might get a little preferential treatment. Like if they need a certain person or a body in a certain spot for a shot, they might pull you because they know that you're not going to act like an ass in front of the camera and, and ruin the shot. Um, so, again, it's, it's networking. It's being genuine, genuine and not forcing anything. So go in with no expectations. Do what you're told. Don't get pissed off if you know things don't go the way that you expected them to. Um, and be pliable as a human. Just enjoy the time on set. You may not have another. You'll get fed. You'll, you'll have food and drink. You'll be able to go to Crafty and, and all that other fun stuff. It's definitely an experience, especially for people that um, have never done it before. It's, it can kind of be a little overwhelming the first few times. But once you kind of get a feel for it and you see what's going on and how set life works, so to speak, or, or background life works. Um, I've met a ton of amazing people, um, some that I still have good rapports with. Uh, a guy that I worked with as an EMT on 17 Bridges, 
or 21 Bridges, whatever they changed the name to now. Um, there used to be we, less bridges, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I think they miscounted the number of bridges that they were going to use or something. I don't know. One of those fake uh, titles to make you know it's not well, they do that the too. actual There's, title. They, they put a lot of things that I worked on. It's one thing during filming, and when it's released, it's like, oh, but that's not what it was called when we were doing production. And they do that for a reason. Um, you know, obviously, they don't want people going to sets that don't need to be there. It's, it's chaotic enough. Um, but the one guy, Charlie, he was a, my, my partner, ENT, in that. We hit it off well. We had a lot of common bonds. The whole group of people that we worked with on uh, those three days, it was it was just fun. Um, I worked on Creed 2, and I still keep in touch with a couple of people that I um, sat to for that week and a half. So you meet people. It's it's definitely fun. Um, but, yeah, don't, don't go into it with any expectations and try not to be too big of an ass. All right, Mike, you've been on a lot of projects, and um, you've helped develop some projects. Too. Um, some with myself. Tried to. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, we do what we can. Um, so, what makes a worthwhile project? What we're indie filmmakers. We don't have a ton of money. We're not, for the most part, getting paid, especially the developers, um, to develop these ideas. But we spend so much time with them. Uh, what to you makes a good, worthwhile project to work on? Something that you're passionate about, a topic that you're passionate about. Um, and by topic, I don't mean a specific genre. Uh, I happen to love tons of genres. I like horror movies. I like thriller movies. I like suspense movies. I like action movies. Um, I think having a passion in what you're trying to develop is the key, which I get really frustrated when I see that, oh, they're remaking this, or oh, they're rebooting this, or oh, they're doing this again. Right. I think as you've seen with our connections with people, there's a lot of really creative people out there. There's plenty of creative people to come up with new ideas and new twists on things that we don't have to constantly re-go, go back into the basement and pull up the box and go, well, let's redo this one. We haven't done this in a while. We haven't, oh, we haven't seen this in a while. And it's just, it's getting really frustrating. I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that there's a point where that will where they're just done with it. I mean, I, I see them doing, like, spin-offs now, which at least is mildly entertaining. Like Spin-offs have always been a thing. I mean, look sure. how many spin-offs they had of NCIS or CSI or right. Law & Order. Law & Order's a big one, and I'm a hmm. huge fan of the original Law & Order. Um, and there's a, I think there's a fine line sometimes where you can go back to the well a little bit, and spin-offs, if they're done the right way, can work, but when it's you know the third or fourth iteration of spider-man or the third or fourth iteration of batman which i still don't think they've yet to mail right um it, it gets a little frustrating there, there's, sure. there's so many different avenues you can go to and so many different angles you can approach from to bring something out that's fresh and, and new and still interesting even if it's something connected to something in the past <clears throat> true yeah um I know there are certain remakes, and I mean, we're talking about remakes, you know, we've also got, like, video game movies, like, things, I mean, essentially, if you make a movie from a book, it's you an adaptation, it's not right. an original thought, but, you know, bringing it to life is, is pretty cool, but I know for a lot of people, myself included at times, when I've read the book, 
like the movie just doesn't compare. It's like, well, you've just distilled the cool parts and you've lost something in the mix. Yeah, and I understand the duality of that. I think Harry Potter was probably one of the best series that kept really close to the book, so yeah. uh, this material. Um, I think the one of the magical things to books is you're internalizing what you're reading. The words on the page are, and the, the scenes, it's all personal uh, interpretation. It's personal creation in your head of, of how it goes. So nothing's ever going to compare especially a different director or a, because that's let's face it, that's, that's somebody else's vision of what that scene should be. It's never going to compare to what I've envisioned in my head. Same thing like you, you've read books. It's, it's not going to be the same thing. And I think that's where people get hung up on. Oh, I, I, the book was way better because that, well, yeah, the book's way better because that's how you internalize what you read. Well, this is how they internalize what they read. Yeah. And it's a different way of presenting that. Whereas like a book, right. You can get into the character's internal thoughts. You can, you can, you know what they're thinking at every given moment. But on a movie, you're looking in from the outside. You're, yeah. you're, you really, and it takes a special director to, to hit some of those moments where, where, right, where you can build up, where you can, you can plant seed A, you can <clears throat> plant seed B, and then they both blossom together and then you see you get a close-up of the character's face and you're like wow okay right. i know what they're thinking like to me those are the those are really good directing moments right but in a book they do them like every chapter <laughs> well, and that's the thing is with with a book you can really take a whole chapter and dive into a character and you know what their motivations are what happened to them in the background in a movie you've got really three acts which is you're built up your your main point and then to simmer down yeah and you can't spend a lot of time and, and anybody who writes screenplays is going to tell you you every scene needs to have a point it needs to drive the plot and you really don't want to waste letters on a page or things like that with writing you can be as descriptive and as long-winded as you please i mean look at game of thrones each one of those books is like thousand pages um, <laughs> and you know each what was it each book was essentially was a seer was a season so for the most part yeah it shows you how number of pages in a book will translate to a story and you, you can't pull everything out of a book into a movie because sometimes there's just so much in a book that's good um, i think there's a lot of things they could have put into harry potter movies but overall i think they did the best job of they capturing. did they did good and you know you're not just looking yeah. at a director to translate the book you've got producers you've got fans you've got kids who have short attention spans there's there's a lot of masters to serve there right and it's, and that's, it's a magic and that's trick pulling it off it get it gets lost to people who aren't who don't understand the process or any aspect of the process um of truly how many angles you need to cover it's, it's a very broad spectrum especially for a book and a book series that was as popular as that there were so many expectations for when this was announced that they're going to make the movie series out of it. So understanding that and, and trying to check all those boxes off is, is definitely crucial. But, you know, again, there's tons of books, there's tons of source material, there's tons of video games. There's just tons of people who have creative ideas that yeah. we don't, I don't feel we need to go back to the drawing board every time. It's funny because Hollywood has even in like uh, 30s to the 50s like they may have remade the same movie a couple times 
Um, I know there's there's one movie that Alfred Hitchcock, um, he was in uh, England at the time. He was an English filmmaker to start. And he actually, like, it, it's, it's weird. Like, on the Blu-ray, you can see um, all the establishing shots and all the outside, the inserts and everything, they're the same. But he reshot the film with German actors for release in Germany. <laughs> like, it's just... It's weird, it's strange, but it's essentially the same movie, <laughs> just different actors with a different I think, spin. I think what causes that is they have a formula, they know what works, and it worked in the past. We just need to spice up and modernize it a little bit, and it'll work again. Well, that's not the case. Not people want new stuff. They want a new experience when you go to a movie. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you mess up Transformers enough soon enough people won't want to go see them <laughs> I don't think I've seen the very last one I, I think the first one was awesome the, the first two or three maybe were really really good and then it just you take repeating the horse that's the thing but here's the thing if you, you haven't seen Bumblebee I have not check it out because it's it's a spin-off right? right it's it's just focusing on Bumblebee it's a really good character study of the human which I feel like we haven't gotten like Shia LaBeouf's character was very uh, uh, running around here running around there I need a girlfriend now I need a new girlfriend like this this actually pertains to the plot yeah it was and it was the same way I felt watching generation one as a kid like I don't care about the kids I want to see the robots but at least at least that spike made sense for the show because mm. that was the, the Autobots kind of connection to humanity. Right. I, I really wasn't a big fan of Shia LaBeouf's character, the way they... Well, it didn't work in that way. It, it, it just, didn't. it really, the way either the script um, or whatever was set up, it just, it didn't work. It didn't translate. Right. Um, but in Bumblebee, it, that that is solid. Like, the... It, the the girl is really the main character, and Bumblebee right. is is there. Now, right. the only thing that I feel like was lost in that movie was the scale, because you've got Bumblebee. That's it. It's not like, you know, the Bumblebee Avengers with Optimus and everyone else. <laughs> like, it, it felt like a step back, but at the same time, it was a huge step forward for storytelling within the Transformers universe. I would definitely have to check that out now. Yeah. Okay, um, run short on time. We're talking about remakes and why they suck. What's your favorite <laughs> remake? Uh, favorite remake? Honestly, I can't think of a remake that I've really enjoyed better than the original. I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. Okay, I'm going to give you another chance after I say mine. So the 80s version of The Thing was a remake from earlier. I don't know if it was... 40s, 50s, 60s, but it was an old black and white movie. Um, I haven't seen it, so I don't know if I can even speak to this, but <laughs> I've heard the, the original is very good, but the 80s John Carpenter's version of The Thing is amazing, and I know that they've added, they've kind of twisted and creatively put a different layer on it, and I'm sure it was a remake done with love, which is what counts. I it was, but I also think that they had the benefit of better effects, Yeah, which that is is kind of a high effect movie to for that scare point and and then to nail some of the points that they want to in there that I think were better conveyed. I haven't seen it either, either. Um, 
but from what I understand, it's it's a much better, but it's very true to the original. Mm. Um, I'll throw this out as as a remake. Um, I'm a big fan of Shakespeare, and it's going to be really cheesy, but Ten Things I Hate About You, I think, okay. was a phenomenal retelling of Taming of the Shirt. Okay. Um, yeah. Again, a movie that a, a story that's just been told numerous times, numerous ways, but. There was, there was something about that. I can, I can actually sit and watch that movie all the time. It was young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Levitt. Um, you had... Uh, crap, what's her name? Julia Stiles, um, Heath Ledger. You know, that was like his first movie. Yeah. And looking at the things that he went and did. I mean, obviously everybody knows him for the Joker, but... Um, I liked what they did with that. They, they kind of brought to modern times. It was set in high school. It was, it was interesting. So right. I'll, I'll go with that was my... my favorite remake so now. common thread here um love for the original um maybe doing things a little bit differently putting a spin on it um so it it's just for some reason hollywood right now it's all about and it's not older things that they're pulling it's, it's things that aren't even 10 or 12 years old yeah that they're remaking We're already getting it's another batman yeah you'll never see anybody remake um a john hughes movie and there's a reason for that. You can't, yeah. you can't beat that. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's uh, remote schooling day off. Ugh, I will, I will personally go to a set and destroy it if I hear that's being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. And it, to just hammer the point home, um, I've seen some really, really cool indie films, right? Stuff yes. done with little money. That. I think if a little more money, if um, a little more love, a little more care, a little more um, maybe mentoring, if they want something to, to be the quality of a Hollywood thing. Like, there's a lot of good ideas out there. What was they the are out the, there. What was the name of the movie they premiered at the last awards show we went to? Because that was phenomenal. The one that took place in, not Thailand. Um, it was. It took place in the Philippines. Philippines, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was pretty but good. That was a phenomenal movie. That was I good. Thought it was phenomenally shot. It was. It was really well done. Um, you clearly tell that there was a lot of love and attention that went to that. I think that was better than a lot of the multi-million-dollar movies that I've seen. Sure. Um, but it was an independent film. <clears throat> that was good stuff. I do. I. I have no idea what I the name was. And I, I feel horrible because it was such a good movie, and I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> have to find it and put it in the in the description on the bottom. If we this. find it, it'll be in the description. And uh, likewise, where can we see your previous work? Um, Netflix for any of the Marvel stuff. Don't look too hard; you, you'll you'll blow right past, and you won't see me. Um, the only thing that you'll see me in for an extended period of time was my one shot on Limitless. I don't remember what episode it was, but the stuff that I produced with you is uh, on YouTube and can be found up for a video, which is stuff I'm the most proud of. <laughs> it's Michael R. Bollington, producer, actor, all around great guy. All trades. Thanks a lot, Mike. Links <laughs> in the description. Thanks for going indie depth.